Welcome everybody to another episode of Be Fearless Podcast. And today I bring you a subject that is really, really, really different of what I usually talk about in the podcast, but I think it is super important to talk about it. It is a subject that does affect everybody, even though you realize it or not, it does affect everybody in your personal or professional or um, emotional state is, is something that we don't talk about often. So for that reason, I brought you today our special guest. He has been a special victim investigator for 15 years. He has seen cases from human and sex trafficking, sex abuse, child abuse, all that. He has also been highly trained in, in the mental health field and worked with mental health professionals and ERs professionals uh, to bring people into safety. And so far, he has helped over a thousand people. Let's welcome our guest, Will Kilsman. Welcome. I hope I didn't butcher your last name. <laughs> no, it's okay. I've been called worse. I've been called better. It's all good. <laughs> I'm gonna Welcome say I'm gonna so say Dagmar. That's okay. I'll use Dagmar as your first name. Or okay, Miss perfect. Whatever you prefer. Okay, Will. <laughs> and thank you for having me. I do appreciate it. So thank you. I appreciate you having me here. I am so thankful that you um, came up into the podcast because I believe that our topic uh, today is the impact, being the impact of human trafficking. It, it, it is something that does affect everybody. Yes. But before we dive into the topic, right, yeah. for our audience, people that is just meeting you, who was Will growing up and what was his dream? So as a child, a lot of people who know me when I was a kid, they're like, you do what? Uh, so as a kid, I was a little chubby. I was not always with a strong voice. Um, I was the one who actually was usually really being um, bullied and teased, whether it's the playground, whether it's school, whether it's the community. Uh, also, uh, there was some child abuse at home. There was also some times where, well, later on, I mean, after I dealt with a lot of the child abuse and a lot of the other um, traumas and, and issues or messes, as we call them. And so a little bit later on, I didn't fully work through my issues. And so I ended up marrying someone. I ended up being married to someone who was more narcissistic. And that was for 10 years. I've been divorced now for about six, six and a half already. And so there was all those different pieces of, you know, when I was a kid, some issues, had some moments, some flashes of brilliance where I saw I could make a difference. My voice did matter. Then I, because I didn't fully deal with some of the issues that I should have dealt with as a kid. And so I married someone who wasn't the right fit for myself. And, you know, here we are, uh, where I've been doing uh, special victims investigations and work for 15 years. I also run my own consulting and coaching agency uh, for about a year and a half, almost two years now. And, you know, I'm able to help people. That is fantastic that you're using your live experiences to help others. Yes. But did you ever saw yourself as a coach, as, a, you know, doing what you're doing? Working as an investigator, did you ever drink about it? No, so not really. So as a child, I always wanted to help people. 
And so at one point when, you know, when, when you're three or four or five years old, you're like, yeah, I want to be a firefighter or a police officer. You know, you know those kinds yeah, of things yourself, that yeah. kids say, whatever. <laughs> so when I was a kid, I said, okay, I want to be a, uh, a, a police officer at one point. But I was like young. I was three, four, five years old, whatever it was. And as time went on, being a police officer wasn't exactly right for me. But the investigations part always spoke to me. As I was going, you know, through through different things and different jobs and applying for other stuff, this is way back when, and you know, 15 years later, you know, I was as an investigator. I still do investigations. I do investigations, and um, it's rewarding to be able to help people. Not everyone wants to be helped, so of course, exactly. you know, you offer, yeah. and, and that's how that goes. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, no. So the other part of that 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 um, that piece is. Originally, I was only supposed to be doing this for two or three years, and then I was going to move on to grad school, but I liked the job so much. And you stay. 15 years, and later, up, 15 years later, here we are. <laughs> well, thank you so much, obviously, for what you're doing out there. It's definitely an important job um, and a crucial one these days, as we have seen more and more cases of human trafficking, um, you know, surging and coming up, uh, you know, out there. It's like, I remember when I was growing up, I never heard that often, you know, oh, you know, somebody was missing. Um, or maybe we heard it when we went and bought the milk cartons, right? Mm -hmm. um, that was the only, the only time. But now... With, I, I think with social media and how we communicate these days, things have changed and we get to talk about the topic often and I think it's crucial. Yeah. So people can stay safe and can identify, like you said, um, behaviors that can put them at risk. Yes. Now, you said that you've been working 15 years as an investigator. Tell us from the law enforcement side, how has been your experience, how you have seen this issue impact everyone's life, not only the victims, but the people around them? Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot that it has an impact on. It has an impact, it's, even if we're talking about an adult and the adult was abused recently or they didn't deal through or work through their traumas from when they were a child and they start to have um, flashbacks or they have issues or they're dating now or they're in a serious relationship and certain things are coming back because I didn't fully deal with stuff. So that, that alone impacts, you know, the workplace, right? Calling out sick, not being able to work because there's all these different pieces like, you know, disassociation or trying to um, being your own bubble and, and not wanting to, to, to be out in the world or the numbness aspects, all those pieces. If we're talking about children, then we're talking about a, a set of people who rely on adults for a lot of things, whether it's food or going to school or whatever the case is. And so if the adults involved are like, no, that, that didn't happen to you, or they, they deny it, or no, no, um, the guy or the woman or whoever did the assault or whatever's going on, you know, no, they, um, they're, they're helping us pay our bills and they're helping us feed our, feed the family, whatever, especially if it's a woman in general, when it's a woman where the guy is the breadwinner 
Mm-hmm. And the woman's like, no, 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 no. He's paying for all these things. He's a good man. He would never do this to you. Even if the mom knows what the um, male perpetrator is doing, in that example, the woman is like, no, 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 no and, and denial and that kind of stuff. And denial is a huge thing. Yes. Denial is a big thing. I personally believe denial comes from, in this case, comes from fear. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like our, our our brains from way back when is like, oh, okay, well, the accusation of sex abuse or the accusation of trafficking, the accusation of any of those things is the lion that we were trained for thousands of years to avoid. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to shake our entire world in terms of where we're living, the food on the table, the school we're going to, or if it's the woman, the home she's in and, and everything else, you know, or the supports feeling, you know, loved or is cared for or whatever the situation is. And so that, that's the main issue for that alone is the fear aspect. When we talk about for kids. I will also, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah. I interrupt you, but I sure. think that is also more than fear is it's the the feeling handicapped in a way that knowing that if I continue with this accusation or tell the truth about mm-hmm. these accusations, I'm going to be financially yeah. hit. And yes. then what I'm going to do. And status, fi- finances, mm-hmm. embarrassed, stigmas, all of mm-hmm. it. Exactly. To me, it boils down to the, the, the one bottom kind of aspect is fear. Fear. Because okay. again, fear is the, the fear of everything being shaken up. Whatever the yeah. foundation is of that person's life or that family's life, it's all going to be shaken up because now you have police involved. If there's children, there's going to be child welfare involved. Uh, there might be detectives involved. Almost mm-hmm. probably will be. Um, and then you have forensic, medical forensic examinations. Depending on what state you're in, you may have a forensic examinator who does the interview with the child and you have law enforcement and child welfare or civil law enforcement behind the glass watching the trained um, investigator do what they do. Or, mm-hmm. And so there's all these different pieces, but I agree with you that yes, but to me, the underlying piece is fear. And so that fear has people do things, even when, even when, when we react to stuff or when, when we're fearful, we may do things that may not be exactly, you know, something we're comfortable admitting to yeah. later on, but it's a, um, it's a, um, what's it called? It's a reaction instead of a response. And that's the issue is these reactions yeah. aren't our best selves, aren't our usual selves. It's just us reacting to something because we're thrown for a loop. Now imagine the kid who's being, if we're going to talk about trafficking in a second, that could be, but let's say for sex abuse for right now, mm-hmm. the child's, you know, um, the person's usually, it's usually an uncle or a stepfather or whatever. It's somebody it's a, that, yeah. It's a female child, yeah. yeah. Um, for a male child, that could be a little bit further out in terms of the circles, um, but it's almost always someone that the children know. Mm-hmm. And there's these stages to it. There's the targeting, there's the gain the victim's trust, you know, filling a need where this adult, in this case, for a child, or Mm -hmm. the adult is filling a need for the child, maybe the child doesn't feel loved, or one of the parents is always working, one of the parents doesn't feel comfortable hugging a child, or using affectionate or loving language, you know, you have all these pieces where the perpetrator now fills that need, they ask questions, they figure Mm -hmm. out what that need might be, or, and especially, if they're especially if they're family members and they know what's going on, they they'll know what that need is. They'll know, oh, 
their brother, their sister, their niece, nephew, aunt, uncle, whatever, that parent isn't doing this, that, or a third, and they know exactly what need to go and fill for this child, then eventually they isolate the child by saying, if you tell anyone, we'll get in trouble. If you tell anyone, these bad things are going to happen. You're not going to be able to stay there anymore. You might be taken away or this or that or whatever. There's all these different things that are said. Exactly. And then that's when things get really, really bad in the sense of sexualizing the relationship and the perpetrator maintaining control. And so those pattern, that pattern, that circle, that pattern is also part of how things in general is also part of how things go with sex, um, human and sex trafficking, where, you know, the person on the street, but now more and more, it's not just a random person who meets someone and says, hey, you need a place to stay. It's just usually, it was mm -hmm. typically, traditionally that, hey, I have a place for you to stay. You look Now it's somebody that you know. Yes, now it is. Now it's, or it's a friend of a friend, especially now, it's usually a friend of a friend. Um, it's not usually an aunt, an uncle, whatever. It's usually um, my, let's say uh, Mary is 14 years old and Mary knows Kathy who's also 14 years old. Kathy knows someone who either gave her shelter or gave her food or whatever, or it could be Kathy's friend who knows somebody else. It's usually one or two degrees a bit further out. And um, then they can often be where they're homeless. The child is homeless. They had to leave their house or leave their foster home or leave their step-parents house or whatever the situation is. Um, or even a shelter situation. Now they need a place to stay. They need, they need food to eat. Obviously, they want to survive. That's the whole point. And so this innocent person's like, yeah, okay, so I'll give you, uh, I have an apartment, I have a bed, I can get you some food, that kind of stuff. Eventually, whether it's right away or two or three weeks down the road, mm -hmm. they get flipped. Yeah. Where now, you know, we're going to have this party and have these friends over or I'm bringing some friends over or whatever's going on. Or if it's a, a girl, Mary's a girl, Kathy's a girl, one of them is a girl, right? And the guy's the one that let them in or, you know, the, the person who's housing these people, um, Kathy, Mary, et cetera, in this apartment, there might be another person involved, not just the woman who they knew who got them the apartment and the food, but there's a guy connected to that woman. That's usually how it goes. There's usually a pairing system of two adults, a male adult and a female adult. And the female adult gets girls, if they're looking for girls to traffic, they get girls to be in this apartment. Yeah, because that's their way to gain their trust. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's absolutely. Because again, that feeling that need is usually the food and the clothing, the shelter and that kind of stuff. And then that's the guy who would bring in the male um, people who are paying for the service, mm -hmm. uh, paying to basically rape and abuse, in this case, kids. Um, but it can go different ways. You can have the guy bringing in uh, boys and it's the woman who brings in women or women who brings in other men or whatever. There's different ways it can look. And so, yeah. you know, it's usually the same gender brings in that gender. So boy, a guy brings in boys, a, a woman brings in girls. It can go either way, but it's usually like that. And then it's another person or the same person that brings in the people who've paid to do inappropriate and disgusting and horrible acts. So. Yeah, I'm so sorry about that. Hold on one second. Let me make sure I turn this off so we don't have further inter no, interruptions. Okay. But in the meantime, um, let, me, let me ask you a question. How do you think all this is um, how all this has impact or has or does have any impact on um, 
on the economy per se. Oh, it's it's massive. And the human trafficking and sex trafficking world has its own economy also. Yeah, right? it's like the underground economy. Yeah. And yeah. and so you used to be able to like track guns because they have serial numbers. Even if they're soldered mm -hmm. off, there's ways to trace it and that kind of stuff. You used to be able to track um amounts of you know drugs cocaine or whatever but people it's different you don't like tag a person there's no you know serial number on a person mm -hmm. so it's really hard to trace a person and so that becomes its own issue and then obviously the younger the child the less um sex abuse that they've had the less um clients or whatever you want to call it they've had the more the value that person has, there's a whole value system to you know how it's done in terms of selling the service and everything else. But in terms of the general economy, it's massive. I don't remember the exact number, I'm not gonna lie, but I know the number I believe is in the hundreds of millions, if not billions, because again, we're talking about people who go missing, who then end up somewhere else, usually it's different countries mm -hmm. or different, different continents completely. Uh, usually they're smuggled by boats if we're talking about some of the more intense kind of stuff. And, you know, part of it, it can even it can be adults too, you know, young women, adults uh, in college or whatever the case is. And, you know, the impact is this person isn't working. This person isn't um, productive in society. This person also has impacted their family because mm -hmm. they're not around. The family is obviously sad, upset. They're looking for them. Maybe exactly. they take off work. Maybe they quit their jobs. Maybe they do whatever. So, it really or they're selling their their homes, you know, just to to fund, you know, um, private investigators or trying to find a way yeah. to get them. Yes. So yes, oh my gosh, yeah. It, 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 again, there's a ripple effect. There's a massive, massive ripple effect. Oh my god, and um, let me now let let's let's go into how do you help people with this issue with your business okay. how how you integrate all the knowledge and sure. skills that you have gotten through all these years and turn it into a business sure so clients come to me for different reasons mm -hmm. sometimes a client comes they want to know how to help their friend or how to help their loved one their their adult daughter or son going through a divorce or whatever uh, sometimes People come to me and they want a one or three or five hour consult. Usually one or three hours, we're talking about dating. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about actual domestic violence or child or welfare CPS issues or CPS and divorce or CPS and police or whatever. So it's my insider knowledge of knowing how child welfare functions mm -hmm. and how the police work. And so a lot of that information isn't really public. I mean, it's not like it's hidden completely, but it's not like it's like, out there for the entire public to know what's going on. It took me four years to get permission to be able to explain information and give the information out to clients or on podcasts or whatever. And so a lot of what people ask of me is understanding patterns. Are they looking at someone if they're dating? Is the person gonna be an abusive person that they're dating? Because they, they look good on paper, they've, they've spoken by text, they've spoken on the phone, the person seems nice and everything else, but are they actually gonna be 
a decent person. Now, there's no 100% predictor, but there are red flags that says, well, yes, this person's probably going to be more controlling, manipulative, dominant, whatever. And then it's up to the client to decide what they want to do. I can only give them information based on the patterns that I see. If we're talking about divorce, it's how to go through the divorce so that my client is the one that gets the best results. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's no hundred percent in divorces. Let's be very clear, but there are yes. better and there's worse. And mm -hmm. the way to go through a divorce is to control the narrative is to be the one. If you, if you, if you know, you're going to you know, get divorced as it's in your gut and you, it makes sense. And you've gone through, you know, all these different things. There's a whole series of things to do and a lot of things not to do, but the main thing is to control the narrative, meaning to file first, to put your stuff, to put the information you, you want out there, to control who hears what and what's being said. Not in a vindictive way. Like a saying in, in I'm from Puerto Rico, so a okay. saying in Puerto Rico is who hits first hits hits twice, right? Because yeah, that's true. you're the first that. you're the first yeah. one landing the punch. Yeah. Um so it's basically that. Just like be the first one filing. But it's also that people are used to hearing it. So let's say I'm the one who's going through the divorce and I filed first and I start telling everybody, yes, I'm going through a divorce. It's for these reasons. The next person who says, oh, well, I thought it was for another reason. They're going to ask more questions to the other person because their original paradigm, the original sort of baseline or foundation of what's going on mm -hmm. is, oh, I thought it was this. And we always, as people, want to try and rule out whatever we're told. Mm -hmm. If this is, you know, what we're told, we then have to say, okay, well, isn't this? And we ask all these questions so we understand why it's not whatever we're told. And so if you're the one going through divorce or you're the one going through a situation, or I also have clients where they have co-parenting issues and it's what are the right words mm -hmm. to use? What are the right words not to use? All that kind of stuff. And I have a system, which is the wet system, words, emotions, time. And I'll get to that in a second. But basically it's understanding that you, whoever you are, if you're the survivor or the victim, you do have control and you haven't given your power away. You may have in the past, but starting from when people meet me or hear from me or podcasts or whatever, and they begin to take control of their lives and their power, that they're the ones that are now in control and they make their choices. And so that's huge, especially for co-parenting with somebody else who's more dominant, more manipulative, more controlling, more whatever. You know, all that is important to know what to say, how to say it, when to say, when not to say, all those pieces. Like you, people think, oh, well, I have to, you know, comment right away. I have to reply to a text right away. Mm -hmm. No, you don't. You exactly. can wait. You can say, I need time to think about this, mm -hmm. you know, um, all that kind of stuff. But how I was able, so basically to answer your question, because of the interviews I've done in the home. So my job is to go into the homes when things are going down. Usually we get a call. From my government job that is we get a call mm -hmm. we go in you know things are usually going down or things happened 24 hours before or two days before and so we're coming in quite quickly in terms of how things have been happening recently and we ask questions usually um one of the parents if there's if it's a family one of the parents is dominant controlling manipulative or narcissistic the other one is usually being abused or um surviving all, all what's going have on. you found a situation when you have two narcissistic personalities together it can happen but remember that narcissism is a spectrum narcissism isn't like all or nothing it's not like you're pregnant all or nothing it's not like you're sick with a cold all or nothing right it's a spectrum you 
most people who are well-adjusted, even who even run businesses or in the world, have some amount of narcissism. Most of us do. I a little bit, you I'm sure a little bit, but those who are narcissistic, those are the ones who are very dominant, very controlling, very manipulative, the people who we don't really want to necessarily associate ourselves with, those are the people who are very far on the spectrum as very much heavily narcissistic. And those are the people who I'm talking about, right? And okay. so, yes, you can have two people who are narcissistic. One is likely going to be a little less than the other. You can have two, the exact same amount. And if both are, are doing violence to each other, whether it's verbal violence, verbal aggression, verbal control, or physical, that's called mutual violence, where each person is doing violence one to the other. It doesn't condone, it doesn't you know, say, hey, okay, they're both hurting each other, so who cares? It's not mm -hmm. about that. But there is, at least legally, a role to play in terms of who is the aggressor and who isn't. And if both people are essentially being aggressors one to the other at different times, then that is a different situation. And the police may or may not get involved. The courts may or may not get involved as much. They may get involved a little bit, especially if there's kids involved or mm -hmm. if there's pets involved and the pets are being neglected or the kids are neglected, different story. But of course, if you have two people who are going at each other, then yes, um, there's still an issue, of course, but it changes how anyone responds. Anyone comes in and talks to them and tries to offer help because someone who is narcissistic or more narcissistic, they don't really want help. They don't usually apologize and say sorry. They exactly. Usually... They will not recognize that they're exactly. doing they're what they're doing. Uh -huh. Of course. Oh, wow. Okay. How do you coach people, help people to recognize these patterns and, and to improve their quality of life through your coaching? I mean, obviously, every situation is different. And so I obviously custom everything to what a person is going through. So if it's consulting only, then I'll ask a number of questions. If it's for an hour, then it's an hour, three hours or five hours. Usually the best results are the three or five hour consulting, but everyone has their preferences and maybe have certain certain issues when it comes to finances or whatever and that's fine and okay. so i'm able to first ask some of the main questions so i understand the main issues going on and then whatever they want to me to sort of talk about with them so if we're talking let's say where a family has a child and the child is in their words quote unquote a spoiled brat or more manipulative more um like wanting certain things that and not having to work for it or whatever it is and so there's ways in which to approach it obviously the first part is to not continue to give in to this child even if they throw a tantrum or say things or they're gonna or call the parents nasty words or names or whatever the case is it's first and foremost for the parents in this case to take a deep breath <laughs> realize their child is saying and doing things to manipulate them Mm -hmm. and they, they're not going to be able to go completely cold turkey in terms of cutting them off completely right away, but they can create boundaries and set those boundaries. Even if the adult child is going to start to throw tantrums and say stuff and say, oh, you're evil or you're oh this or oh that, there's ways to, to sort of stop that. So what one big thing is to acknowledge them. Now, I wouldn't say I hear you. Most people don't use the words I hear you. Most people say, oh, that's interesting, uh, or, oh, I get that, or, oh, I, I heard what you said, or that kind of thing. Um, and then it's, let me think about it, and I'll get back to you. That's mm -hmm. the key part of the, phrase, of, of the phrase. There are coaches that say, 
you should say, I hear you, but understand something. If I met you, Ms. Torres, I met you in the supermarket, and I'm going to talk to you about salad dressing, right? That's going to be one response. But if I spoke to you about your profession, it's going to be a whole different response, right? So the words we use get a response from somebody. Yes. So if you start to use words to a narcissist and they're not used to hearing you say this stuff, then you're going to get a response or a reaction, one of the two. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be natural to what was. So anyone who's coaching you, they're going to say, well, you should say, I hear you, or you should say whatever. And you start using these scripted words. And the narcissist is like, huh? They may understand the words, but to them, it's not part of the normal pattern. So they're going to react. You're breaking the pot and their pattern. And so that's going to stop them. And exactly. kind of like. They're going to go harder at whatever's going on, as opposed to using natural language, but still acknowledging them. Hey, interesting. Okay. Don't apologize and don't say they're wonderful or, Hey, I love that. Don't say those. Don't go any of those extremes, just interesting, or that's interesting, or you said something cool or interesting or whatever. Let me think about it and get back to you. If they, you know, say stuff like, Oh, well, it's been an hour. It's been a minute or it's been a, a day or whatever. When are you going to get back to me as soon as I can? That's your answer. As soon as I can. Okay. Or as soon as possible. Okay. When's that? As soon as I, as soon as possible. If they keep pushing, then you can ignore because you've answered their questions. Understand that if they keep asking questions and you keep answering and it's the same question, then part of it is them trying to have power and control over you still. Mm-hmm. And part of it is them understanding they can that they still have what they know to have from before. You're trying to shift it. You've acknowledged them because they need to have acknowledgement. They need to feel as if someone's heard them, especially the one who they're feeding. Someone's heard them that they're listening, that they're going to um, react or respond, depends how it goes. And a reaction is a knee-jerk reaction. Reaction mm-hmm. is like when you when you go to a doctor and the, and the doctor hits you on the, on the knee with that thingy, whatever the hell it's called, and your knee goes up and down like, like that, okay? That's a reaction. A response is, even if it's an extra split second, it's calculated, it's with understanding, it's with um, information, it's with either experience or wisdom or knowledge or whatever. Okay, that's a response. And ultimately, the goal is to respond, not to react. So then the next step with this, as an example, this child mm-hmm. who's more manipulative and everything else. So, and this is actually part of an example. I'm changing some of the information a little bit here. <laughs> but this is part of actually a real, real thing that happened in terms of one of my um, uh, consulting um, sessions with, with, with a family. And it's the parents that came to me. And then the next thing was, well, this child wants all this money for not just food, but like, you know, $300, $400 restaurant meals every night or whatever the case is or, or that kind of stuff. So then it's like, okay, let's taper this down. So it's going to be, okay, you can go out once a month, you know, and that's it. But if they charge it again, you turn it off. You turn off that credit card. You turn off whatever's going on. You don't put that money in. If they have to suffer, they suffer. Now, it doesn't mean they're suffering for weeks and weeks and weeks because they're going to actually start to say and do stuff. It's going to escalate. Okay, but after about three to five days, they may try and go from all the intensity because again, narcissists have cycles, just like yes. domestic violence abusers have cycles. They do all the, the yelling and screaming, and you're evil, you're awful, and saying stuff to your family and friends, and how awful and evil you are, and whatever. To then to 
what we use in domestic violence terms is the honeymoon phase, which is buying the flowers, you know, you're lovely and you're the best thing since sliced bread or whatever you think is amazing cheese or whatever else you want to use uh -huh. and that kind of stuff, you know. And so ultimately the narcissist or the spoiled brat or whatever word you want to use, I don't use the word spoiled brat really. And I'm just quoting these people. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and it really boils down to finding that point in that cycle. So it's asking enough questions to say, hey, you know, this person's cycle is a week or a month or a year. Now, if the, if the cycle is a month or a year, or whatever, obviously it's a different story. You're still going to have to use tough love, clamp down and everything else. But ultimately it's going to be negotiation. Look, I can't afford this anymore. I can't do these lavish, you know, stuff, giving you all this money or the apartment or the restaurants or whatever the case is, but you can go out once a month and this is the money for that. If you use it up, you use it up. And if they start complaining, whatever, okay, well, here's a plane ticket to come back home. You can stay in the house and that's it. Okay. Because then you're shifting it. You're giving them yeah. an alternative or they can stay or they can come home, like for this child who's like 25 years old, give or take. Okay. Or you can come home. Here's a, here's the plane ticket. Um, because most, most people um, have credit cards and I encourage people to have points on their credit cards. If that's just my personal, whatever, um, because you never know when those points come in handy to buy a plane ticket last minute instead of having to spend money that you don't have, whereas exactly. the planes are just, just there, okay? Right. Anyway, so this family has the ability to bring this child back if they wanted to, and they tell the kid, the 25-year-old child, whatever, um, you know, this is the deal if you stay, and if not, you're coming home, and th this child did try to test boundaries and everything else, so, and you have to stand firm. You cannot give in. You can't say, well, I'm giving you more money. You can't say, oh, you can have the kids for the week, an extra weekend or whatever, especially with divorces and especially with narcissists, mm -hmm. even in a work environment, but especially with a divorce. If you male, female, mom, dad, you give the kids to the other person for an extra weekend, that then changes um, oh, um, what's called a precedent. A precedent is basically you've now changed what the rules should be. You now change what the pattern should be. So if it's supposed to be 50% custody for both parents and it's every other weekend and you're trying to be nice and give the person a third weekend this yeah, month, unless you have it in writing, unless yeah. you have it in writing that says, okay, I'm giving you this third weekend and it's a birthday because it's a whatever, it's a special event. It's not part of the agreement or the agreement isn't finalized yet, but I'm doing this as a one-off and now we're going to reverse it where next month I get the kids for three weekends and you get them for one weekend to balance it out. That's fine. But if you don't assert whatever it is you're trying to fight for, if it's full custody, it's full custody. If it's 50%, mm -hmm. that's 50%. Whatever it is, no worries. But if you start to give in on extra phone calls, extra visits, extra whatever, the other person is going to say, hey, Your Honor, well, it's not 50%. It's a bit more towards me because we've had this before. So, and that makes things a little more annoying honestly for the lawyers for the court mm -hmm. uh, because you've established a new foundation a new precedent a new baseline a new way of looking at what should be for the kids or whatever and it's the same thing with a narcissist you don't want to change what the new baseline is what the new way of doing things is you need that person to realize things have changed now you don't want to change it too drastically at the beginning but you want to hold firm to whatever it is you're telling them. And you tell them, I'm not doing this, that, or a third anymore. I'm willing to discuss it with you. I'm willing to negotiate on certain things. But these are the things I cannot give in on as long as you're clear with them. Mm -hmm. 
stand firm. Don't give in on it. Now, are they going to drive you crazy? Yes. Oh, they, they, they know they're how to push. push your buttons. They know what <laughs> drives you in terms of making you cry, in terms of making you frustrated, making you curse or swear, whatever words you want to use. I use the word spicy language. That's how I say it. Okay. Um, they know how to do that stuff. Your job, whether you're in the workplace, whether you're co-parenting, whether you're whatever, your job is not to show them any reaction at all. At all. You want to buy a punching bag? <laughs> have fun in your own house. You and I guess, to, you and I guess, <laughs> no problem. And I guess that's tip number one, right? Uh, from your book, because I, you are publishing yes. your book next Sunday, yes. right? Yes. Three tips to divorcing a narcissist that, that the public, the public doesn't, doesn't know. know. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that book writing sure, experience. Sure, absolutely. So it's based on a system that I created, the the most easiest system, because it builds out. It goes from wet to then another word to another word after that. And so mm -hmm. this book, it's going to be actually free of charge. Uh, it's about a $47 value, give or take. And uh, it's based on a system called WET, Words, Emotions, and Time. I may have mentioned this earlier before. And so words are words, but words and thoughts are pretty much the same thing. So what we think, we then sort, sort of say, mm -hmm. right? So emotions is our feelings, okay? And our thoughts and our feelings are linked very, very closely. If you look at uh, the study of um, chemicals in the body or epigenetics, as it's called, or any of those other kinds of stuff, even if we don't have any thoughts, we wake up in the morning and we feel sad, we're then gonna impact our thoughts to be sad thoughts, um, diminishing or um, a lack kind of thoughts as opposed to abundance. It's mm -hmm. gonna be like, I, I'm not worthy, I can't do this, I'm not gonna be successful, those kinds of things. And you don't want that. I don't care if you're in a healthy relationship or not, you always wanna be at the best possible place for yourself. And so words and emotion go hand in hand and you wanna work on that. It's okay to um, say things, whether it's um, manifestations, uh, or affirmations if affirmations are basically saying i am great or i am wealthy mm -hmm. or whatever and manifestations is i want to be or i i am now based on what will happen in the future and so you know those things are great but the equalizer if you look at certain books and everything else the equalizer is meditation okay and so even if someone and having worked with many people who are you know traumatized and survivors and everything else because the research shows that meditation is the equalizer and so I encourage those who I work with, if a person doesn't like meditation, it sounds weird or it looks weird, or whatever, that's fine. Breathing, if you just start with breathing and change your nervous system, how it responds versus reacting, mm -hmm. that is a big deal. And so if you normally speak at a certain pace and then you slow down your speech a little bit, like I'm doing now on purpose, you then feel a little calmer as I'm speaking a little bit slower. Now, if I do this for too long, you think I might be a bit crazy. I respect <laughs> that. But again, everyone has their pace, their rhythm for speech, just mm -hmm. like their pace, their rhythm for hearing stuff, seeing stuff and everything else. Try and slow down your pace just a little bit in terms of your walking pace or anything else, it does immediately impact your nervous system, how nervous or how happy or whatever you are. And that immediately tells the body, hey, I'm in a calm, happy place. I'm in a good spot. I'm safe. I don't have the lion from thousands of years ago 
that we used to be fearful of coming to try and eat me, I can relax, I can be happy, safe, and everything else. And so the last part of the, these three pieces of words, emotion, time is time. Sorry, wet. Words, emotions, time. So it's wet and how to stay dry because no one wants to be wet for too long. You get rashes mm -hmm. and stuff, right? That's why I use wet as the acronym because you want to stay dry. But to deal with narcissists, we have to avoid getting wet, okay? So <laughs> T is for time. It's not sending a text right away or taking an extra breath. <sighs> oh, I don't have to write right away or say something right away. I'm going to acknowledge them. Hey, that's an interesting thing that you say. Let me think about it and get back to you, okay? And there's, a, there's a lot more, obviously, in the book, but that's one of the main pieces is sort of taking what's being sort of put in your court, if we're going to use a tennis metaphor, mm -hmm. whatever's in your court, and then it's understanding how best you want to have your tennis racket hit the ball and put it back on their court. It doesn't have to be hit right away. You can have it go in slow motion so you can have time to think. There's all these different pieces to it. Now, in terms of the hidden information, hidden information is that's part of the title because it's information that's specific to um, understanding how child welfare works, how mm -hmm. the police work, how the courts work. People see stuff on TV and they're like, oh, okay, so I'll just go testify. That is not how things work in court. Okay? No. <laughs> and family court is very different from criminal court. Most people see criminal court and it's, in some shows, it's 50% right, it's 75% right. It's it, it, it can be more what really happens. But for family court, there's very few shows that I've seen that's really, um, Accurate. That really shows that's mm -hmm. really accurate or reflective or whatever word you want to throw in there in terms of family court that really is family court in real life as opposed to what we see on TV. Okay. Yes. And so part of it is, especially in the, in, my, in the book, is explaining some of the mindset or understanding of a police officer or a CPS, CFS, DCFS, whatever word you want to call it. Okay. And the different things, because it goes by county. It's not just by state, it's by county. So you have all these states and all these counties. It's a lot of things to remember. But yeah. bottom line is understanding their thought process a little bit, understanding where they're coming from. Not because they're right or wrong, but because they're the ones you have to talk to so that if you're the one surviving, you're the one who's the quote-unquote victim. I don't, I don't like the word victim, but people use the word victim, so I'll use it. Um, but so if you're the survivor or victim, you want to know how to get the police to actually get you, get them to help you, to help not you. listen to the narcissist or the abuser, which happens all too often. Or uh -huh. you, know, you don't want the courts to listen to the abuser. You want the courts to listen to you. There's ways to do things. Exactly, okay? and there's and that's part of what I, I put in this book and the, the book that comes out afterwards, which will be a much larger ebook of maybe eighty to hundred pages. That one's going to have obviously more information and more tips, tools, and ideas. But it's a build out. I don't want people to get overwhelmed because a lot of yeah, times it's a lot of information too. Yeah, a lot of times we hear like stuff like, okay, well, look at the narcissist and assess the narcissist. There's no point in doing that. If you're in the car and you're skidding, right? If you're a survivor, you're 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 um, a a victim, okay? And you're in the car, you're basically skidding. Whether it's on water, ice, doesn't matter. If you're in a car and the car is skidding. I want you to first take control of you, you and your car, to look at where you want to go, not the tree you want to avoid, not whatever else. If you ask anybody, if you're in a car and it's skidding and you're like, I want to avoid this tree, chances are you're hitting that tree. 
Or I want to avoid the guardrail, you're going to hit the guardrail probably. Uh -huh. I want to avoid a car, you're probably going to hit that car. But if you focus on the good, where you want to go, what your intent is, and where you want things to be, that's why wet is the foundation. And why I bring in some information as terms of the mindset stuff of these professionals so you know what to what to be aware of, but it should never be your focus. Your focus should always be on you, your words, your emotions, your thoughts. Your yeah, that's fantastic. Okay. So you guys, next Sunday, three tips to divorcing a narcissist that the public doesn't know. Spec the book. Are you um where where the where they can get your book? Is that gonna be on Amazon? So, You're gonna have it on your website. So it's gonna be on the website. Um, it was not going to be on Amazon because again, I don't plan on charging for that one. Okay. Um, but it's not going to be your typical like lead magnet. That's four pages or two pages. No, 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 no. This thing is going to be at least 10 to 12 pages. That's um, fantastic. With proper value, proper information. Fantastic. And then from there, um, there'll be a larger one coming out. The goal is before Christmas or even Thanksgiving, but we'll see how fast I can get things going. And, um, it's basically there to help people take control And not just the one phrase I mentioned before about, oh, I didn't think about this. Let me think about it. And I'll, I'll get back to you. But there's a bunch of other ideas and words and sentences to use that really helps put you in the driver's seat so you don't skid and you go in the direction you want to go in. Fantastic. Your website, controlempowerstrategy.com. Mm -hmm. You guys, that's where you're gonna, you can download your copy of will's book next sunday okay yeah. next sunday um you also have a, a few um facebook groups or communities that you're building to help her and him cool. um so tell us which are those okay so there's the one for men and one for women a lot of the clients have said okay i want especially women who've been abused by men they don't want men in their group and that's fine i respect that so that's why i have two groups One for men, one for women. And both of them are take control before he does or she does. So it's men. Uh, so for the women, it's uh, take control before he does. Take control of your divorce before he does. And for the women, it's men. Take control of your divorce before she does. Most people don't realize there's a lot of women who do. I'm not trying to bash anyone, but there's a lot of women who do perpetrate domestic violence and narcissistic abuse yeah. on men. And it's a, not talked about as much and it's taboo and all that stuff. People are like, well, why do you have two totally, groups? There's a reason why there's two groups. There's a I totally lot agree. Need for both. And, and I am so happy that you just said that because uh, that's something that um, a lot of people sometimes is in neglect because yeah. women also um, engage on sexual abuse and sexual harassment. Uh, and unfortunately, there's a lot of men that are victims yes. that are out there. And then you see them that, you know, they are struggling with their feelings in, in to kind of like, kind of like um, digest what yeah. happened to them and deal and with get help and not get just, help, not just digest to make sense yeah. of everything, but then get help. To then get find help balance, is the worst. Yeah. To feel more comfortable. 
And especially in the Latino community, because we have the machismo, you know, Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. oh, you're a man, you Mm -hmm. should not complain if Mm -hmm. a woman just, Mm -hmm. you know, approach you this way or that. And that just causing this huge problem out there. And it's so good that you just mentioned it. And it's not just not only in Latin America, right, in terms of um, everywhere, but but also in the, in the Central and South America and the Portuguese communities also, it's the same kind of culture, same kind of idea. Um, for Europe, it's a little bit different, but it's the same ultimate thing of men being a provider, men not always talking about their feelings and hiding mm-hmm. certain things and everything else. And that plays a role. The machismo has different words and different ways, different flavors, mm-hmm. but it's the same general idea same in whatever you know, culture, community, religion you know, that, we, that we have to deal with. Um, and that's why there's two different groups uh, so that men get the needs for them that they need and that they're met, and women get their needs met in a group for them. That's fantastic. Well, Will, thank you so much for your time. It has been a treat having you today with us. Thank you for uh, creating um, so much content and consciousness about these topics and bringing your expertise out there to help people uh, to deal with this problem and to be aware of this problem so they can also help somebody else. Thank you for having me. You are... Very welcome. I'm so very happy for this episode. So you guys don't forget, okay, to come back next week, okay? Next week, we have more amazing guests coming through. In the meantime, don't forget to unlock your potential and be fearless. Bye. (laughs)